Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety podcast. My name is Christine and I'm an alcoholic. I want, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to thank um, Deanna Putnam with Prim and Wimp Designs um, for sponsoring this episode. Um, Deanna has been a dear friend of mine for goodness, going on 34 years. And um, she runs a, a, a neat little business where she, she if, if you can plan it, she can decorate it. So uh, check out Prim and Wim Designs. Deanna, thank you so much. I love you. Um, so today we have, uh, I have a new girlfriend on, on the, on the show, uh, Diane M. Um, we met on one of the recovery pages, um, on the internet. Uh, that is a great resource, um, for someone who's either new in recovery or just looking for community. Um, there are so many different pages to choose from that you can find some support and, and, uh, like I said, just some community and, and uh, so, so be sure to check those out. So, Miss Diane, thank you so much for Hello. being willing to share your experience, strength, and hope with us, um, so that we can reach that person who still suffers. So, Diane, where are you? Where are we talking? Where are you? Where are you talking from? Well, I live in Long Island. Uh, the town I'm from is Shirley. Okay. Um, initially, I'm from way back when I was born in Brooklyn, New York. So. Um, from a city called Bay Ridge. I don't know. You're in Texas, so I don't know what you know about New York, but um, I lived right by the Verrazano Bridge, which is kind of, it's a pretty famous bridge. You've heard of Staten Island, I hope, right? Yes, uh-huh, for sure. So that bridge connects Brooklyn to Staten Island. Awesome. So I'm from over in that spot. Very but nice. um, then I, when I got married the first time, I moved out to Long Island. Okay. And it's beautiful in Long Island. It's really pretty out here. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I um, bet. Yeah, I've only I've only visited <coughs> New York a couple of times, and it's been the uh, the you know air quote typical New York trip. You know, uh, uh, Times Square, oh, wow. and yeah, you, you know, come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not I haven't I haven't traveled too much out of the touristy places, but uh, but thank you for being here on the show. We just share <laughs> what it was like, what happened, and what we're like now. Um, so yeah, yes. girl, tell me all the things. Tell me about you. All right. So, um, I just, this past Sunday on the 23rd, July 23rd, I just hit my 18th year of sobriety. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a journey, big journey. Um, never, ever thought I would be able to say those words, but, um, here I am. And it, it is a pretty, um, it's a little raw of a story. I don't know. I'm going to try to condense it, but, um. I'm going to start uh, from the beginning when I was a real young little girl. Um, my life was always happy. I had parents that were great. No alcohol in my family. There was one uncle who drank a lot, but he 
he really was harmless. I don't know if he was truly an alcoholic. So there was no alcoholism in my family. Um, but at a very early age, I, uh, I was molested when I was a young girl. And um, that changed at like my bright world went to dark almost in an instant. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I lost a lot of um, faith in my, especially in my mom, um, you know, because I went to her and I explained what happened. And for whatever reason, I guess it was frowned upon. It it made me feel like she didn't believe me. So um, she really didn't take any action on that. So Mm. um, I was, from that day forward, just felt like I, I didn't have a hero or someone to protect me. So um, then moving forward into my teen years, I was always I was always a wild cat. I was always um, out there playing with the boys, slap ball or football. I was a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I reached adolescence and grew up a little bit more, um, then the drinking began. And it was always just quote-unquote party drinking, going out to the bars, um, having a great time with my friends and, you know, regular stuff that everybody gets to do when they're young. But um, one specific thing about me uh, is whenever I drank, I never stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always the last one at the bar, always the last one looking for another hit. Um, and so that's how teenage years into like my late years and teenage years. Um, so now, were Diane, were, always... you, were you an only child? No, no, no. I have a brother, younger brother, and an older sister, okay. and um, and another sister, or oh, a cousin who ended up living with us, but I consider her my sister. Gotcha. So, you know, it was a very tight, close-knit family. We're from an Italian background. Um, everybody knows everything about everything. Sure. You know, it, nothing, is, nothing is sacred in an Italian household, mm-hmm. but... Um, so now, fast forward, I'm in my late teens, very early 20s, and uh, I'm still partying, but I'm responsible. I'm going to work, doing what I have to do, but um, eventually I, I met my first husband, and uh, <clears throat> I married him. Uh, I, you know, whether it was the right thing to do or not, I, I don't know, but I came from a very strict household, and I think I really just wanted to get away from my family, mm-hmm. from my parents, because it was such such a tight rein on me and um so i married him and uh we lived in stat well from brooklyn we moved to staten island and we lived in an apartment and uh i became pregnant right away so that that kind of put a hold on the alcohol and moving forward i with this with that husband i had four kids total and every time i got pregnant i nursed the babies and i stopped i was completely stopped drinking so it, alcoholism is a very sneaky, insidious disease. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, it, it really does creep up on you. But um, I thank God had that little stretch of time where I was uh, responsible enough to, you know, be pregnant and have the babies. And then, then once I stopped nursing, all bets were off on the weekends, right. we would party. So this went on, you know, for a while. Um, in my early 30s, um, <clears throat> You know, the relationship with my first husband was not great. Um, There was a lot of mental abuse where he would uh, literally, you know, keep me in the back room for hours and just berate me and scold me. And he was very domineering and and, uh, he had to manage everything. I was not really allowed to say very much. Um, 
he would call me common. Uh, it was just not an equal relationship. Um, when I went to him finally, after about 17 years, and I was a really good wife, um, you know, I when I talk about myself, I say the good stuff and I say the bad stuff. Sure. But anyway, um, with him, I went to him and I said, you know, something's missing. You know, I don't know if we got married too soon or we, we were disconnected. Can we please go to marriage counseling? And he just looked at me and said, I'm not crazy. Depression runs in your family. I don't need it. So that kind of slammed the door in my face. It basically said to me, you're, you're all alone in this one. So um, I just shut down from him. And, the, you know, I would, then it was just a chore to be married. You know, mm -hmm. it was just, all right, get up, do this, do that. You know, um, I absolutely adored my children. I loved being a mother and I did everything for them. Um, but with that, with that, and I'm not trying to imply that he made me an alcoholic. He didn't. I'm the alcoholic, but it was kind of the catalyst that was in the back of my head. So, like, you, you got a couple of du double negatives going, you know, from from the early childhood. Now you got this relationship; it's not working. It's really not ever going to work. You might as well drink when you put the kids to bed. Right. So, he, this is what I did. Okay, bath time. The dishes were done. Uh, everything was ready for the next school day. Uh, go to bed, kids. Good night. And. I would go in the back room and drink my head off. I didn't see anything wrong with it because that was my time. Right. Um, but it does creep up on you, um, and it and it gets you like a son of a bitch. But mm -hmm. um, that went on. The relationship just started getting shattered. Um, I became unfaithful to him, uh, and uh, vice versa. I don't know his specifics. We never really ironed it out, but. Um, we did have this neighbor that moved in next door, and um, she was a, a very huge part of our issues because um, she she came in she came into the marriage somehow, and um, that's like a that's a whole other podcast. But anyway, that um, that enhanced the drinking because there was jealousy in my mind, and you know, uh, just it was a very bad very bad time um, for me with him. So. Um, <clears throat> I just went off to the races drinking and drinking, and um, I remember that, you know, my nobody really saw a problem with it because I was still functioning, and that's the that's the tricky thing. You, I was still functioning, getting up, um, but I was a functioning alcoholic, but still not admitting that I had the problem. Mm -hmm. So when all this other stuff happened, um, simultaneously, I was considering going to nursing school. But I figured, let me get a job in a hospital to see, you know, be a nurse's aide and see if I can really handle it, being around sick people. And mm -hmm. I did. That's where I met um, my next. Uh, he was my. He became someone that I ended up living with because I left the home. Jimmy. I met Jimmy in the hospital, and um, we both drank like animals. It was a tumultuous, toxic. Um, like well, once the alcohol really took hold, there was nothing else I cared about. Right. I would um, drive drunk. I would drive drunk with my children in the car. I would miss work. Um, but all of this is starting to escalate. But I still, you know, don't see a problem. Like I'll go to I'll go to therapy. Yeah. I I was very good at manipulating people and letting them think there really wasn't a problem. I knew how to hide my alcohol in the garage. I knew. 
how to go to different liquor stores to get my alcohol mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't think I was going to the same store. Um, game knows game. And anyone who's an alcoholic knows this. You know how to manipulate. You're a master right. manipulator because you're always thinking of the next excuse because you're always lying to people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to yourself. So fast forward this tumultuous relationship with Jimmy. I end up with him in Freeport, uh, Long Island, which is a really, really, really tough town. I mean, you know, it's anyone who's from uh, Long Island knows that Freeport is a dangerous place to live. But I lived there. Why not? Mm-hmm. With Jimmy. But um, numerous times cops were called. Um, he owned the house that we were living in. It was he inherited from his family. His sister lived around the corner, and um, whenever there was a problem, he would run to the phone and get his sister over. He was a real um, coward, like he was not really able to face anything. But we were drinking partners. That's The whole six years that I was with him was primarily drinking bodies. Mm. So, um, you know, very, very, very bad. I ended up getting my first TV in uh, December 2004. I was driving to a Christmas party. We both worked at the same hospital. He didn't want to go. I wanted to go. I was the party girl. I went. He followed me in his car. I ended up, when I left, I was so drunk. And I was also a blackout drinker. I would lose time. I would lose days. I would lose money. I would lose conversations. Very bad drinker. Um, so anyway, the cops pulled me over, and I got arrested. I was in a beautiful party dress. I thought it was fun in me. It was like I, it still wasn't clicking that I have a very serious problem. Mm-hmm. So because your first seaweed normally is usually a slap on the wrist. So went to the judge. Uh, it was basically go to probation and don't do this again. You know, you get a couple of fines here and there. Fast forward again. I didn't learn my lesson, um, and I'm still living with Jimmy in this uh, toxic relationship. He um, That night when he also got arrested, too, because he was driving in front of me, and he got pulled over. So he was beyond upset with me, and um, at the at the police station, he, he was spitting at me and spitting on me and mm. yelling, see you at your C-U-N-T, and from across the room. Wow. Um, and... Um, Oh, it was an awful relationship. One time he pushed me so bad. I was in, we were sleeping in bed. I don't know what, I don't even know what transpired, but he pushed me so, so hard. I banged my leg into the dresser. And when I woke up the next day, I had, uh, it had to be at least a foot and a half bruise on my thigh. Mm. It was so black and blue. I went to the ER and, um, I lied. I just said to them, I fell. You know, how did that happen? Did anybody hurt you? No. That's the other game I learned how to play. Every time I went to the hospital and there were numerous visits, numerous suicide attempts, numerous cut it, I would cut on my wrists. Um, it's just, you get the picture how bad it was. Right. It was pathetic. Um, <clears throat> so then my second DV I got, I was still living with him. And they got that in March of 2005. Now, we were in, Jimmy and I were in a restaurant. Um, we were both very, very drunk. You know, it, you could just say boo to him and it would set him off. Whatever happened at the table, he stood up, he got my plate of food and dumped it in my lap. It was uh, like the Italian dinner, like spaghetti stuff, in my lap and walked out mm. of the restaurant. 
So now, <clears throat> you know, I'm cleaning myself up and I'm getting to walk out of the restaurant and uh, I get in the car and I'm drunk. So um, I'm trying to drive back to his house, but I don't know where I am. Didn't really have a GPS back then or cell phones. Um, so I said, I'll, let me just try to wing it. And unfortunately, I went up too far and I went onto the main road and the, and um, I all of a sudden I heard this crunch right and I looked like it was all happening in slow motion and I was like oh wow I think I hit something well when I looked in the rearview mirror there was a whole bunch of cop cars with their lights on and I'm like and this is how dumb I was I'm like wow they're gonna pull somebody over and I stopped at a light and they come up to the car they're pulling me over oh. and they get me out of the car they arrest me and it was the same cop uh, that was in that arrested me the first time. Oh my so, goodness! <laughs> yeah. So it's like, uh, well, this Freeport is an incorporated village, so all the cops know each other. Oh, Jimmy's okay. Family. Every every time we had a fight at Jimmy's house, the cops came. They knew they knew Jimmy's sister, so it was like a, a buddy system there. So I had there was no chance I was ever gonna you know, have a valid argument with them because they were all friends. Right. So um, anyway, they arrest me again. I go to jail and it happens to be East. That was Good Friday, actually. And um, I just I just stayed in the jail. Um, the people you meet when you're arrested are unbelievable. This girl got up against we were in the cell together and she said to me, come up against my back, sit, sit on the floor and come up against my back. And I'm like, I'm hungover. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, just keep, keep the guard occupied. And I'm like, what the hell is she doing? So I turned around. She was pulling something out of a cavity. Um, she probably had drugs inside of her somewhere. She goes, I only need two seconds. And she, she probably took a pill. Mm. And I was like, but I didn't realize this until later. Like, what was that girl doing? That's how naive I am. Right. Um, so anyway, that's my second TV. I go to the same judge because it's so back-to-back TVs. And um, he said to me, he pointed his finger and he said, if I ever see you in my courtroom again, you're going upstate to jail. Ooh. And I, I literally felt a little bit of a tinkle of pee come out of my pants. And I was like, I think this guy is serious. Still didn't matter. I still drank, okay? This is how bad I got. Um, so that was March. Now I'm, I'm coming up to the last day that I drank. Um, so you can see how bad this is. Right. Now, in the interim, I'm failing nursing school because I'm in the program um, and I'm not doing well. I'm, I'm showing up half drunk and, you know, they're noticing it. They're not stupid. Um, they... Uh, they had asked me to leave, but I, you know, some, some dates or times get fuzzy because you, you're not always uh, coherent, but um, <clears throat> that was the last DUI in March. And then uh, I kept drinking. The last time that I drank was um, July 23rd, 2005. And what happened was um, I, I was very, very drunk. I was always very suicidal too, and um, because I missed my children, I had screwed up my life so badly, and I lost them. You know, I lost them to this disease, and it it, it only got worse. There was nothing was ever gonna make make it get better. Right. So uh, I took a whole bunch of Jimmy's pills, and um, you know, I was passing out on the bed, and 
and uh, he came into the room and he called his brother. His brother lived upstairs. And I'm passed, I'm passed out, but I can still hear them murmuring about me. And all I can hear is Jimmy saying, well, I want her the fuck out of here because I don't want her, you know, if something happens, um, he just was more concerned that he was going to, that I was going to die and he was going to get blamed. And in my drunkenness, I'm like making a mental note of this, of what this guy is saying. Mm -hmm. They end up calling 911. They come in. It's the same people because it's an incorporated village. It's the same, same cops, same everything. And the cop, Erin, said to me, um, Diane, what are you doing to yourself? She goes, you're such a pretty girl. What are you doing with this loser? I oh turned around to her, and I was so drunk, and I said, you, and I started screaming at because I was, I was really out of my mind. Um, they put me in the ambulance. Um, the last thing I remember thinking, I put my hand in my back pocket to make sure I still had a $10 bill because when I was going to get out of the hospital, I was going to go get more alcohol. Mm. So I get into the hospital and they go through the routine. The psychiatrist comes and, you know, are you suicidal? You know, are you this? No, I'm not. They just want to, you know, they just want to make sure you're not going to kill yourself. Um, they held me for 24 hours and then they let me out. Now, it's about 92 degrees in a heat wave. I'm on Hempstead Turnpike in Long Island, which is like a major thoroughfare. They gave me one Metro card. I had one quarter in my pocket, no cell phone, no cigarettes, no food, no water. And I'm thinking, where the hell am I going to go? If I go left <laughs> to my ex-husband, he doesn't want me. He's already hung up the phone on me. And plus, I don't want to upset my children. So if I go right, I don't know what Jim Jimmy's unpredictable, but I, at this point, I have no choice. So I go on the bus, which takes me like half the way. In, in, to where he lived so I get off at the train station and I'm walking to his house and it is I don't you know someday I'm going to measure how far it was but it was the longest walk of my life with nothing not anything nothing and nobody this is how empty I was and in the, in the heat it was so hot and I was I just kept looking at the cracks of the sidewalk saying just do one more box just do one more box Finally, I get to his house, and um, he said to me, um, nobody wants you here. I want you to go. And I said, where am I going to go? So I went into the bedroom, and I, I crawled down on the floor in fetal position. And I cried, and I howled like I've never heard anyone howl. I only thought animals did that. Mm. And it was coming from me. It was coming from me. And I just kept crying and crying. And I was so broke, broken. I don't know where I got the strength, but I, I started making phone calls. My best friend wasn't answering the phone call. My ex-husband hung up on me five times. Um, my parents lived, were old, and I wasn't going to you know do this to them they knew that there were serious problems but my father was getting old i wasn't going to drag him into this problem um there was i called a shelter um and they told me to get a ride if i could get a ride they had a bed for me i said i have nothing i don't have any money to get there i have no one to take me 
she said, well, I'll hold the bed, but, you know, you, you have to get a ride. So that didn't work. I called my church parish, and the girl told me, can you call back tomorrow at 10 o'clock? And I was like, no, oh, wow. I'm in desperate need here. Now, yeah. So, so now that was July 23rd, my last drunk. Um, I finally decide to go um, inpatient. And I had done this before to other, um, like, rehabs, but they were only, like, two weeks here, two weeks there. They let you out when the insurance runs out, and right. you're on your own. This rehab that was referred to me from uh, someone in one of the groups was upstate New York in um, by the by the Adirondacks on the border of Canada. And I, you know, when it was suggested to me, I was like, I can't leave. Everybody needs me. I'm like... Nobody needed me. Right. I had no life. It mm -hmm. was if I hadn't done that, it was either that or just die. Just really, because my I did have suicidal plans, and I I had a path I was going to take. Um, but the only thing that kept me going was my kids. It was that was it. It was like they are my world. I have to go back to them. I have to figure this out. So now, how I old how upstate. old were the kids at that time? Give me just a guesstimate. About how old were they? Uh, uh, the youngest was Mary. She was eight. Uh, oh, no, she was 10. Megan was 13. My boys were like 18 and 19. I have four. Okay, got it. So um, so they were old enough to know affected, mom was having some big problems. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it affected all of them tremendously. They, mm -hmm. they really, they, they're still traumatized by what I did and, you know, uh, forever apologizing, but... Anyway, um, so I go to this rehab, and it's a therapeutic community. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but uh -uh. when they tell you to jump, when they say to you, jump, Diane, you have to say, how high? There is no exception. You are in a strict environment. You're separated from the men. There was like 12 women to like 20 men. They sent me to the thrift store to get bigger clothing because the therapist told me, I was too shapely and I needed bigger clothing. So no one, you know, there was no distractions, right. no makeup, no, no anything. I actually had the nerve. This is how sick I still was when I called to make um, the appointment to go up there, you know, getting all my paperwork together, my, my physical or whatever. Um, I, I actually asked them if I should pack a bathing suit. Could you believe this? Hmm. So there was there was a silent pause on the line, and the receptionist was like, "Yeah, don't worry You're about that. You're not going to be doing any swimming." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, that's not the kind of place I'm going to. I'm not going to Malibu." But um, so I get up there, and it's really, really hot. And it was the the summer of Katrina in oh, Louisiana. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is no TV up there. There is no phone. It is it's um. Franciscan friars ran it. It was uh, very um, spiritual. Now, if you weren't Christian or whatever, they still accepted you. Mm -hmm. um, but I happen to be a Christian, and I follow follow my faith, uh, you know, as best I can. But um, so I get up there, and I go on the bus. My my son Tommy, what a doll! He dropped me off. That must have been heartbreaking. He dropped me off at the bus stop, and I went uh, by myself all the way from Long Island all the way upstate, so basically up to the border of Canada. The guy on the bus behind me kept tapping me, saying, you want to get off at the next stop? I have, you know, he had either drugs or alcohol. Oh, my goodness. He's like, we'll go, we'll, we'll go party. 
and this is the devil really coming at yes. me. So I'm like, you know, I'm in enough trouble. He goes, well, I got to get over the border. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, my God. And he must have been a convict because he was telling me he's got to make it to the border. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, just get me where I have to go. Finally get to the rehab. And uh, they had just cleared up the dinner. And uh, I hate fish. I, I can't touch it. I can't smell it. I can't be near it. Guess what they're serving? I'm starving, right? They're serving fish because it's Friday. And Christian people eat fish on Friday. Right. <laughs> so I wanted to be polite. And I'm like, no, I'm really full. I just had a big uh, snack on the bus. Meanwhile, I was trying to shove the biscuits in my mouth because I'm starving. So uh, fast forward, they go through all your stuff and they give you all the rules. And it's a therapeutic community where you're going to clean the house. Um, you're going to go to AA meetings. You're going to be in therapy. You're going to be in classes all day, every day, for as long as it takes. Wow. I said, why not? You know, where else am I going to go? Right. It's actually, it's, if anyone is listening um, to this story about rehabs, and live in the New York area, I highly recommend St. Joseph's Rehab. It's in, in the Adirondacks. It's in Saranac Lake. Um, it's, the, it's considered the Cadillac of rehabs, and it truly is, because um, the, the building faced out over a bluff, like not a bluff, but into the Adirondack Mountains, mm -hmm. and every night there was mass at 7.30. Mm -hmm. I would go every night. Um, and uh, every night I took my little purse with me with my four picture of all my kids. It was a clear purse. And everybody that was in there kept saying, are those your kids? Are those? And I would say, this is what I'm fighting for. This is why I'm here. I'm not here. I wasn't there for me because I, I had no life. Right. I was coming back to them. So gradually I started getting healthier. The food was impeccable. Um, but it was, it, they really taught you how, um, I, it was almost like this, you know, the, the seven deadly sins, like you can't have sloth, you can't have um, gluttony and all of that. It was sort of like that uh, modality mm -hmm. because it, when they sat you down to dinner, you had to stand and when they finished the prayer, you could sit. You couldn't take the last piece of food, like the last biscuit. You would get a demerit because that was considered gluttony. It really taught you your awareness and how you're behaving. And uh, I was like, wow, this is really like eye opening, you know. So um, stayed there for three months. I left there. Now I left there on bad terms. That's that's kind of a, a dumb story. I actually, you're not supposed to fraternize. Like the girls can't, you can't sing, you can't talk to a guy by yourself right you had to have a companion um but he was this one guy in particular you know we were starting to make a friendship which is very bad you should not be doing that uh we weren't doing anything we were just chit-chatting and um when he got discharged i wrote him a letter saying you know he he left up um his address for me to write and I, in the letter, it was very platonic, good luck to you. It was really a very platonic letter. I put it in the mailbox going out, and they confiscated it, and mm. they read it. You're not supposed to do that. And I, no matter how hard I screamed, I kept saying, but I wasn't doing I was just, like, I didn't see what was wrong with that. Right. In fact, I understood now. I understand now why they, you shouldn't do that. So they, they basically kicked me out. and um, But that was I was ready to go. I was three months. My family came up to visit me. We did a family session. 
you know, where they all sit down and tell you how you've hurt them. And, you know, it's, it's like an intervention, like right. face to face. Sure. Um, so anyway, I stayed there and uh, my mother wrote a letter and didn't come, but they read it to me and it was pretty bad. Um, but I had to hear all that stuff, you know, because when you're when you're in the throes of addiction, you really don't think you're hurting other people. Right. You really only think you're hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. So I get home and I uh, go into a sober house for three months. And that, you know, that was very challenging. I had still had no money. I had no income. Um, there was a pay phone in the hallway where if you had two quarters, you could talk forever. I don't know who rigged the phone, but. I knew that all I needed was 50 cents to call my kids and I could talk to all four of them. So when I would call, um, my ex-husband would pick up the phone and um, he would say, oh, they're sleeping. Oh, they're not here. Oh, this or oh, that. He, and I, it took me so long just to get those two quarters. It sounds ridiculous, but I had no money. And I would actually, in, I would like go through the sofa in the sofa house and see if anybody dropped quarters. They were they were like diamonds for me mm. because if I had two quarters, I could reach out to them. Right. But there, there was never, he never really went out of his way to help me talk to them. Um, maybe he was protecting them. I, you know, I, I don't know his version, but I always tried, even from the other rehabs that I was in, I always called and tried to talk to them. And for whatever reason, he never really put them through to me. I would write them letters from the rehab. They said that they never got them. Like years mm. later, they're telling me. So anyway, the sober house, um, very strict, um, like a little bit more lenient. You had to go to AA meetings, which was great. I was getting involved with um, all of that, you know, very active with it. And um, staying sober, getting healthier, feeling great. Um, But now, um, you know, I had to, I got discharged from there, but I, I really didn't have any place to go. I wasn't drinking. I mean, I all along, I could have went back to my house. But I didn't think I could because whatever legally I didn't think I could, but legally I could have. I was still on the title of the house. Mm. But anyway, I end up going back to Jimmy, which is a very bad thing. I know this, but I'm not gonna drink. And I didn't drink. He drank. So I'm like, this is gonna be a real tough road with him, you know. But luckily he would just drink and pass out. So once he would, you know. I just dealt with it, and then I started, um, you know, re- to plan a vacation. I Like, this part gets a little fuzzy, but somehow we ended up going to Hawaii for a vacation. And um, he was drunk the whole time. He actually fell asleep drunk on the beach. Uh, a German shepherd came and had to pick him up out of the water. And I'm like, are you sure you weren't, like, hallucinating? But I had, like, a lonely Hawaiian vacation without him because he didn't do anything he stayed in the room um and i just entertained myself but um i was sitting on the veranda one day and i had that cheap like they call it the obama phone it was one of those yeah um phones that you get from the government Mm -hmm. and the phone rang the phone rang and it was the administrator from the nursing program i had i had gotten asked to leave the program so she goes, and she had known my story because I, she kind of, we became friends for some reason. But she called me and she said, Diane, and I said, Andrea, and she said, I don't know if you're going to want to do this. And I said, I'll do it. She goes, you don't even know what I'm going to say. I said, oh, okay, what are you going to say? And she goes, well, one of the students dropped out of 
out of the program. It was too difficult. And we have one seat left for the nursing program. And I said, I'll do it. So great, 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 great. I hang up the phone. I can't tell Jimmy because he's passed out. Right. I'm like, oh, my God, honey. How am I going to do this? I don't have a car because of my DVs. The school is like 45 minutes away from where I was living. And I'm mandated to treatment once a week by the judge who told me if I ever see you again. So I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out, you know. But each step got better and better and better. Um, finally, uh, I get uh, I get into the nursing program. The way I, it was just, I would go out to, Suff it's called Suffolk County. I lived in Nassau County. Mm -hmm. Suffolk is like all the way, all the way. You've heard of like Montauk and the Hamptons mm -hmm. and stuff yes. like that. So it's like sort of in that direction. It was a long distance. And um, I, my son, Matthew, would drop me off at the train station in Nassau County. I would take the train out to Patrick, which was Suffolk County. It was like all of this maneuvering, and uh, I became friends with one of the girls in the program. She knew my situation. She said, you can sleep on my couch. We'll go to school together. She drove. Oh, wow. I was on her couch. Yeah. There what was an angel. Every, every, every turn that I made, there was always an angel. There was always an angel, like, pulling me through the next step. And uh, she said to me, well, well, we're in the same class. We go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So you stay on my couch. Um, I think I gave her money for gas. So I didn't need a car. I had a place to be. And um, it was like a miracle. And then I would go back into Nassau County to do my probation and do the same thing the following week. And this went on until, like, you know, when you get a DV, it's terrible. You have, you have so many restrictions. And I finally got my car back within a year or so. And I had to have an interlock uh, system put yeah. on, onto the car yeah. in order for me to drive. So I had that. And that comes out of your Everything came out of your pocket like it was uh, $75 in cash a week. It was something stupid. Like the guy was really ripping me off. But um, I, had, I had no choice. So gradually I started driving again. And um, eventually, you, you know, you go to probation. They test your urine, this, that. Everything is fine. And I never looked back. So um, fast forward now. I started working. Oh, I became a nurse. I graduated in 2007. I became a registered nurse, not an LPN. So I was, I was up there. Yeah, like, wow, you were. I'm start making real money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, forget C forget CVS and the grocery store. So, um, you know, it was like a miracle, and my kids all came. Uh, Megan didn't come. I don't know why. I think I'm not really sure. I think she said she had um, to study, but I, we never really addressed that. But I think in my children's each different way. They were all disappointed in certain ways, you know. Sure. Um, I graduated, and then I got a job <laughs> in a psych ward of all places. Oh, wow. It was wow. hysterical. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. But um, I only lasted like nine months. But when I left there, um, I got a different job working at uh, doing overnights for um, a little girl. She was... Um, she had like a chromosomal uh, defect. Mm. She's passed away now, but uh, she was on a trach. It was bad. So I took care of her overnight. And then 
what happened. Okay. So doing that, then it came up. Uh, oh, this, uh, see, here comes another miracle. I, I just was like one miracle after another. I opened the mail one day. I'm still living at Jimmy's. And there's a check for $4,500 to me. And I'm like, I'm shaking. I'm like looking around like, does anybody see this? <laughs> I called my mother. I called my mother right away. She said, oh, go put it in the bank. Hurry up. Don't tell anybody. Put it in the bank. It was from when I quit. It was a state job. So you accrue a lot of vacation time. It was whatever I accrued. They owed me money. Wow. Never expected a nickel from this place. So now I have a deposit to put down on an apartment. And my daughters are getting excited. They're like, oh, because I wanted to move closer to them, right. you know, to be with them. Sure. I, I achieved that. I got my first apartment. You know, it was pretty shitty, but it, it, we were together, you know, even temporarily. Then, um, you know, it, I just kept moving forward and moving forward one step after look back I, I'm deathly afraid of always accidentally taking a drink or eating a piece of candy you know sometimes there's candy with alcohol in it mm -hmm. or a piece of pie that's my biggest fear because I know for a fact that one drink I I won't stop I right. have no doubt in my mind even though I have 18 years of sobriety um that stuff took me down in like less than three years it put me it literally put me in the street in wow. the street with no place so um just to and i don't gonna end it now but i think um the biggest blessing in my life now is um i wake up every day i know what i've done i knew i know what i did yesterday i did get remarried i'm in a second marriage um few hiccups but i love him and he's uh we're working things out together and um you know we have a nice life we have a nice house and nice things but um uh, the the one thing I want to mention is my, all my children are back in my life. Oh, that's I, amazing. I've made amends, I've made amends to them, um, and they know I still feel very very guilty um, for abandoning them and leaving them. And uh, you know, that's what the Serenity Prayer is about. Um, the Serenity Prayer helped me numerous times when when I started saying it, and I started to really really understand it and live it. It was like um, a release, right. you know, a very big release. And then also my parents, uh, they died. My dad died in 2010, and my mom died five months later. So they're five wow. months apart. They died. Yeah, it was a hard time, and I still did not pick up. Um, my, my brother and my sisters were relying on me for certain things, medical things, and my sister took care of the finances, and my brother took care of other things. We all worked as a team, and I was present. I was. They actually called me for help, and prior to that, no, nobody was calling me anymore. No one wanted me, because they, they didn't know. They, they were afraid of me. You know, right. I was, I couldn't was, a count very, on you. I was a very, they couldn't count on me. Right. But when my mom was, um, my mom was taking her last few breaths, um, I, I was there and I was cleaning her mouth with um, a glycerin swab yep. and I was crying. To, I was crying to her and I said, you know, mom, I, I really want you to know, we, you know, we, we had a lot of battles, the two of us. And, you know, I, I had my issues with her not defending me with the molestation and mm -hmm. I, I carried that throughout my whole life. Um, but none of that mattered. 
anymore. And I said to her, I'm really very sorry that I caused you so much pain and sorrow and worry. And she said to me, you don't have, you have to stop saying that now. I, um, you're here with me and that's all that matters. You're cleaning me. And, um, I, I'm aware of it, you know, and, um, I was happy to let her, you know, she, she went, she went to her death knowing that I was going to be okay. Um, same thing with my dad. He had Alzheimer's, but, um, I was there up until the moment of his last breath. I was sober. We, uh, we were all real we united as a family and, um, came together. And now when I look around and I see people drinking or even, you know, at parties or whatever, I, I, I don't really miss it. I don't miss acting like an idiot and getting in trouble. Um, I wish I could drink like a regular person, you know, you ever right. see those people, they go in the bar, they have one. They're so two, weird. They're so oh, weird. Or I, I do. I know. I know, girl. I get it. I, you know. I and I, I know you've got a few more years than me, but yeah, I can sit in a in a restaurant and the, the little couple over here and they have, you know, they have their mixed yeah. drink and a glass of wine and and they get up and there's like half of it still in the cup and I'm thinking, you fucking loser. What is wrong with you? Get <laughs> sit your ass down there and finish Aren't that. Finish that. I know, I right? Know. What is wrong with you? That's terrible. I know. I'm, but my sister, my sister oh. never drank, and we would go out, and she and she would not drink, and I'd be like, well, "How come you're not drinking?" And she'd be like, "I don't like it," and I'm like, "How could you not like this feeling?" You right. Know? Um, my daughter, out of all four of my children, Megan, she's uh, my first daughter. She just turned 31, but she doesn't drink at all. At wow. all. She just doesn't like it. She's never. There's a lot of alcoholism on, on uh, her father's side, um, and obviously with me. But um, So Megan is the designated driver to everybody. Mary is a very responsible drinker. She does drink, but not a lot. But they all leave their cars home. Like I never even thought to do that. Like, wow, you guys are so responsible. <laughs> um, my sons are married. Matthew has children. And the great thing, too, is... My grandchildren never saw me drunk. Oh, praise ever. God. Wow. So that's a good thing. What a so, gift. That's my story. What a and, gift. And uh, I don't know if I left anything out, I might have. But so now, do God you, do you still attend meetings and have a sponsor and stuff like that? Yeah, I kind of, no, I don't have a sponsor anymore. I did way back. Um, I kind of shifted away. You know, the, the thing about me, and I find I isolate, um, and I, I can do things on my own, I, and which is not a good thing. I don't ask for help. It's a bad thing. And I, I don't know if that's an alcoholic trait mm -hmm. or um, mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. But for me, uh, you know, in the beginning of my sobriety, for the first year or two, um, I was a basket case. I was just filled with resentment. It was everybody else's fault that right. that happened to me. Sure. It was your fault. It was your fault. You weren't there for me. And I think it was a pity party. And um, it, no, it wasn't those people. It wasn't my ex-husband. It wasn't my family. Um, it was me who chose to do that. Now, I, I just know that it's in me. I know, you know, it's in my DNA to, to be attracted to drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the first year, I, this is the other thing I want to throw out there. My first year of sobriety, you know how they tell you in the rooms, don't make any major decisions, don't do anything crazy. Right. Let the whole year the first pass. Year. 
Well, they mean that. Yeah, you know, the first year I uh, I signed over my house to my ex-husband completely. Um, he told me to. We both had attorneys. We were going through a divorce, and he told me, um, "We don't need your attorney. We could use mine. Fire yours." And I believed him. That's how I believed. Why wouldn't I believe him? He was the father of my children. Mm-hmm. Duh. Come to find out, uh, like a year or two later, when I was starting to get my credit back, and I would keep getting phone calls from the bank, and I'm like, regarding the mortgage, and I'm like, the mortgage? I'm not on any of that paperwork anymore. I signed over the house. Well, P.S., um, he took me off the title, uh, but not the financial responsibility. Mm-hmm. Responsibility. So um, that's it's really imperative um, if you get anything out of this talk, don't sign anything without a lawyer. Um, always, you know, make sure you're making the right decision because I, I didn't, I, I didn't have the right um, advice. And right. I, I was too trusted, but because I was, when I came back from rehab, I, I was so guilt-ridden over what I did to my family. I was like, I'll give you anything. You know, I just wanted. Right house i want them to live there i don't want anything because of my actions i didn't want their future to be jeopardized so i just initialed everything on this divorce i didn't read a drop of it oh, wow. nothing because i he was telling me what was happening and i believed it so why you know i knew this man for over 21 years and why wouldn't he be honest with me but i, I don't know well, it's funny. I just I, before I came to the studio to do this show with you, I I was at an AA meeting and and um I still I still girl I still go to two a week. I don't know how I I couldn't yeah, yeah. I, I don't think anybody in in this town could deal with me if I didn't. But we were just it was a big it was a big book study and and we read a line that that you know do going through step nine and as God's children we stand up straight when we go make amends and go to make things right. We don't grovel. We don't you know, j- j- although what we've done, yes, that stuff that that's going to need to be addressed and 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 dealt with, but we do not have to lay down and 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 allow ourselves to be victimized or taken advantage of or railroaded or abused or out of guilt. We right. we don't we don't have to do that, you know. Um, no, but, but yeah, no. I, mm. it's it's true. You know, when I in early recovery when I was away in the rehab you had to go to gym every or you know different curriculum but um every day when I went down into the gym with everybody I would look up and there was this gigantic banner in front of you on the wall and it said time I must earn and I saw I hated that sign I hated it because I never thought I would get this far and it was like why does that sign have to be in front of my face every day? Now tell you tell know, me again what it, it what did it say? I think I think a, a word or two oh. cut out. What that sign say? Um, it said time T I M E. Uh huh. Things and it stands for things I must earn. Oh. In other words, yeah, you must earn it. And I think over time now, because <laughs> I I'm still sober. You know, now my family, when we talk about it, we don't talk about it. Like, uh, that girl is gone. Right. That girl is dead. You know, she's she's back in the past. She, she addressed all of her demons up on that hill in the mountains mm-hmm. uh, in 2005. And I'm not perfect. I still make a ton of mistakes. I 
I have a big mouth. I can't help it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that the fact that I can lay my head down and know that I made an honest living today and I was as good as I could be or try, but I, I don't know. You have to do more. You know, my daughters, we were talking about this the other day. They were like, don't, I, we were talking about heaven and I, and I said, I don't, I don't really know if I'm going to heaven. And they were like, you're going to heaven. And I, and I said, why do you say that? I don't think I am because I'm not finished here yet. Mm -hmm. I, I don't do enough. You know, have you seen, this is like a sidetrack and you can cut this out later, but have you seen that movie sound of freedom? Yet? Oh girl. Yes. Oh, With, um, oh girl. Yes. Right? Well, because I don't That's know what's totally yeah, well, and I don't know if you've listened to my story. The first show I ever recorded was me telling my story. So I when did. you, girl, when you just said that you, at Jimmy's house you were in the fetal position and you sounded like an animal, I don't know if you heard me describing myself when I was yes, driving I into town. That was the yes, scariest damn feeling I've ever heard. I, hearing I that sound coming out of a human being right. and it happened to be me scared the right. shit out of me. I mean, I, girl, I, I get it. Yeah. But, yes, when I watched that movie and I talked to my sponsor before I went in to, because, I, because I, too, was molested, and I thought, I don't know how I'm going to react. So I had my husband beside me. He knew to be on alert. Not on alert, but you know what I'm saying. Right. That, that yeah, to yeah, not yeah. be I, – I hate, I hate the word triggered. But I knew that that was a possibility. Yeah. And, girl, the, 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 the rage that I felt sitting there – had they been in front of me, I'd have murdered every one of them. I'm telling I you know. what. It was terrible. Mm, 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 mm. But I terrible. came out it of it. Yeah, it's. I came out of it, you know, it's like, what? Yeah. And just quiet because I thought I have to let yeah. this soak in. And, oh, it's so. It is. Mm. It's a mouthful. And, you know, that's what I mean. Like when I responded to my daughters and they were like, no, you're going. I'm like, no, there's so much more evil. And, like, you, can, you know, you can't conquer the world. But you can spread the news or get a little more proactive or volunteer or you know all of those things you i can give more and i don't so um i think i should start practicing that a little bit more um well but you know what you know what diane honey my darling you're doing that right now you're doing that right now yes, with I hope so. with sharing your story because i feel and and, and it's just my hum my humble opinion if you will just us recovering out loud it, 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 if mm -hmm. we can reach another one of God's kids that just something that comes out of our mouths, if their lives are so noisy that they can't hear their creator, they can't hear God or whatever their higher power right. ends up being, you know, that they can hear our voices and, and relate to our story and, and just have hope that they don't have to That's live it. in this hell <clears throat> anymore. There is there is hope. hope. There is recovery. You don't have to live like this anymore. No, you don't. You know, that there I are had resources. Experience. When I came into the rehab, this one, per we had to do an exercise where um, you had to stand in front of the, this is the rehab in upstate. Right, right. And you had to stand in front of the class and they, they had to critique you. And I was like, oh boy, oh, this wow. is going to be fun. So, yep. I get up and it was my turn and I was waiting because at the time my last name was Wade and it started with a W. So they were going in order and I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't go for a long time. Right. So I get up there finally. And, um, this one guy raises his hand and he said, what I noticed about you was when you first walked into the rehab, you had your head down. 
all the time. Every time I looked at you, your head was down. Mm. He said, I, with each passing week, your head is coming up. And I was wow. like, wow. That was an amazing take that he noticed about me because right. I was so broken. I was so bankrupt of my soul. It felt like, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, do I have time to read like one little tiny poem that I wrote? Sure. And Sure. All right. So, um, when I, whenever I used to drink, um, <laughs> I would always write, and uh, I wrote a lot. Most of it ended up in the garbage, or you know, trashed in a, in a bar or something. But I ended up writing a poem, and it, I dedicated it to. Um, wait, let me just get it a second. Um, it's here. I can I dedicated it to really my 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 daughter Mary and uh Megan is in this too because I feel like I left them too soon and I don't I know I did I hurt them badly but anyway the name of the poem poem is called Weary My mind is weary my body weak yet there are miles to go before my final sleep if I could leave a parting note upon my reckless name I would tell everyone it was the alcohol that drove me insane. A word of advice, please let this suffice. I'm just a drunk, you see. Turn your back from the demon, for he is waiting patiently. He tripped me up in his disguise in oh so many ways. All my lonely nights, what a sacrifice. My poor lamb Mary, how I kept her at bay. And yet tomorrow the sun will rise, and I must realize this can't go on forever. I pray the Lord will restore my soul and carry me through this endeavor. And I wrote that <clears throat> just in in despair and uh, a lot of just, you know, well, you know how you feel when you're down at the I bottom, do. you know. Mm -hmm. So... Well, I am so That's glad that you're sober and, and, you know, girl, keep, keep telling your story, man. We've, we've got to, you know, if, if nothing else, yes. that's our purpose in life. We, our mess has to become uh, God's message, you know, and, Definitely. and, and our, Definitely. our, our test into our testimonies, you know, all, all of the yes. cliche bullshit things that you hear is, is true. We've, we've got to, they really work. Yeah. we've got, we've got to make, you know, We've got to make something good, you know, God, and I believe that God will make all things work yes. for the good if we allow yes. that to happen and, and just be willing. And so I'm so grateful that you were willing to come on and, and tell your story. Anytime. And I'm so Thank glad you. that you're sober. I'm glad you're sober. Amen. You're my sister. new Texas friend. <laughs> Amen, sister. That's right. Please stay in touch with me. I and um, I'm, I'm so grateful. God bless you, sister. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take bye -bye. care. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine. I'm an alcoholic. Keep coming back. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.